Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Today we're talking about animated documentaries with Justin Chandler. He's TVO.org's Hamilton Niagara reporter and co-host of Radio Free Krypton, which is a radio show and podcast about comics and the people who make them. He talks about how documentaries like Flea use animation to tell its story rather than traditional on-camera interviews. By the way, Flea is up for three Oscar nominations this year. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Justin Chandler. Justin Chandler, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So we're going to be talking about animated documentaries starting off with Flea, which made history by receiving a trifecta of Oscar nominations for Best Animated Feature, Best International Feature Film, and Best Documentary Feature. And it tells the story of a man named Amin Nawabi who fled Afghanistan for Denmark. And it's told through a mix of animation and archival footage. And it's just a gorgeous film. What would you think of it? I agree. It was a really gorgeous film. I think uh, it, it was a very powerful story. I loved the animation. There was almost a, a dreamlike quality to it at times. I think it perfectly captured the story that they were trying to tell. And I think even though this was telling a story from years ago, it, it felt especially relevant, I think, given the crisis in Ukraine right now and all the news about refugees that we're hearing. I think it, it really became, um, through just an accident of timing, a, a very timely, very present film. Well, on Radio Free Krypton, which is your show, you've spoken with nonfiction comic book writers. How do they tell someone's story visually? Well, there's a myriad of ways to do this. Um, I I think if someone is telling maybe a memoir, um, they're often feel, I I think, more licensed to be creative and to to show how their life has happened um, or an experience that they've had. And maybe they go um, bigger on the visuals. Maybe they they take a much more creative style and they they leave more of the realism behind and they, they try to tell a true story, maybe in a more abstract way. Um, but I've also talked to creators who've done uh, historical fiction where they've uh, actually done a ton of research. Uh, so maybe they've gone back and they've read all sorts of periodical news articles. Um, they've read journals and they've tried to piece together realistic characters or even people who've told stories um, based off of family members or things like that, where they've done maybe more of like an interview style and they've tried to gain more information um, through people that they know and then went back and tried to place this into a story. So I guess sort of in the same way that um, that this director did interviews with somebody and then based a piece off of that, um, that's another way that I've seen it happen in comics too. Who are some of the creators you've interviewed? Oh, I'm thinking uh, people like uh, Francis Descharnay with Little Russia, or Jamie Michaels with uh, his book about the Christie Pitts riots in Toronto. Um, I've, I've talked to lots of different uh, sort of Canadian indie creators, for the most part, um, who do this kind of work. What's their motivation for using comics to tell these stories? Yeah, the reason a lot of these people have wanted to do something like um, like comics and animation is because uh, you you find, I think, that Uh, it's a much more accessible medium in a way, not to say in any way that it's easy to do um, to do this, but it's easier sometimes or maybe more accessible to a person than doing an entire 
uh, like let's say uh, a traditional documentary where you've got to get a crew, you've got to get all these producers. Um, th there's still lots of things that go into it, um, but it's something that you can do more so um, grounded. You don't necessarily have to send people out somewhere. You don't have to um, get lighting in order to you know, actually like uh, go out on set and agree to get a person to sit for face to face in front of you on the camera. You can do it like um, like the director for Flea did where you're talking to somebody and then you're recreating the scene later. There's a scene in Flea where Amin is watching Bloodsport, which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. And Amin's in this moment of reconciling with his sexuality and then Van Damme winks at him through the screen. What are the thoughts of the creators you've spoken to on using creative license like that? I think that uh, in a lot of cases, people just feel like it, it's okay in, in the certain medium that when people are uh, reading a comic, when someone's watching a cartoon or a piece of animation, they understand that the rules are maybe a little bit different. Like, you know that what you're seeing is not photography. You know that you're seeing a person's interpretation of something. And that can raise its own sort of questions as far as objectivity or journalism. Um, but... In, in a moment like that in Flea, I, I loved that moment. I thought that that was the sort of thing where, like, if I was writing an article, I would say, like, oh, he found that he was attracted to Jean-Claude Van Damme and would sometimes think about him or something like that. But in this way, maybe it's a moment that uh, he was t he told to the interviewer and they just slipped in that little wink. And it was the sort of thing, like, you as the as the viewer, you know that that, yeah, that didn't happen. But you can sort of say, okay, well, this was what someone imagined or what somebody thought about. And it makes the point that needs to be made. So it's, it's at least a, a, truthful, a truthful thing, you know? Do any of them talk about just how perhaps there is maybe more skepticism directed at animated documentaries because there is more creative license, right? Like you're not actually seeing that archival footage necessarily you're not necessarily seeing i mean they're putting you into scenes that you know they are basically writing right like there there's a scene in flea for example where he's picked up by the russian police because he's in moscow and he and i think a friend of his and there's this young woman who the police also have and uh it's a pretty horrible scene for anyone who hasn't seen it trigger warning uh they're basically going to rape this woman the police you know we didn't see that happen there's no footage of it but that's what he's telling you um i wonder if any of the creators that you've spoken to have talked about concerns that have been raised about just i guess the the factuality of their stories i haven't had that sort of conversation at least around something sort of uh, as serious as like an allegation of, of rape or of sexual assault um but i have like spoken to people more who just say they, they're basing these things on research and they're trying to to show people where the information is coming from. I think generally comics and animation are still sort of in a battle for legitimacy uh, where people still for it's been changing. And I think the amount of uh, acclaim that Flea has gotten really shows that. But there's still a, a large portion of people who think comics, animation, cartoons are about like superheroes and talking animals and they don't they don't realize that it's a medium it's not a genre and that you can you can do a lot with this well it's it's actually interesting flea's not even the first uh film to be nominated for uh an award at the academy awards or at least not in the uh, documentary category i think uh waltz with bashir which came out i think in the mid-aughts it's about um the Lebanese Civil War, and then there was another one called Last Day of Freedom, which is a short doc, but that's another one about a man whose brother was 
uh, executed for a horrible murder and he suffered from PTSD and there were all sorts of mental health challenges that he faced. And both are really harrowing documentaries. Um, but, you know, I don't know if, I don't think either of them won. And I guess I wonder if perhaps, you know, like what you talked about before, perhaps there's they're seen as less serious than a traditional film or documentary. Yeah, I think there could be some of that. And it's unfortunate. Like I know um, uh, the comic creator Gord Hill, who did 500 Years of Indigenous Resistance, he wrote a book about the Antifa movement. He does a lot of research and he writes these sort of um, uh, comics histories and he'll visualize everything that happened. And I remember one of the things that he told me about his work is that he feels like it's way more accessible, that you can reach people who wouldn't pick up an academic textbook. Um, and maybe those might be the same people who wouldn't go to hot docs or watch a, a big documentary about something. But if they find out like, oh, this is an animated story, um, it's told in a much more narrative format. It's not just like news clipping. Here's stuff about the refugee crisis. Here's statistics. Here's a professor. But this is it's one person's story that you can get in on and you can read through. And I think that there's a, a different audience you can reach and maybe one that would be turned off by other forms of media. So it's it's unfortunate because I think that by uh, maybe if if you're not giving as much credit or if you're not valuing these mediums as much, uh, you're also maybe not valuing that audience as much. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And actually, it, you made me think of something that the filmmakers of Last Day of Freedom said, I think, in the at the tail end of the film, you know, there's a little interview with them. And they talked about interviewing the brother of this man who had been executed. And one of the ways they were able to, I guess, discuss this man's brother was to show his psychosis using animation, you know, the things that he saw or that, you know, that are being related to the filmmakers. Um, you know, how he imagined himself because he was a Vietnam vet, how he still imagined himself in the jungle, but he's really, you know, on the streets. We chose animation because it describes um, psychological states and emotional states. And so you really have this possibility of going beyond literally what's the story in front of you and having these other metaphors and describe these qualities so that the whole screen can be completely blank. And you can see one thin line when Bill feels isolated and lonely or it can feel completely chaotic and hectic when you're describing Manny's state as he comes back from the war and is facing incredible trauma and loss and chaos in his life. Yeah, and there's, as you mentioned before, there can be questions about accountability and if someone's not willing to put their face to this, how can you trust what they're saying? And I think those are, those are questions that creators can answer individually based off of their situations and say, well, this is how I'm doing it and try to build that, that level of trust. But it also allows you to get to people who, um, like in this case, wouldn't do that traditional interview. And that doesn't mean that the story is not something that audiences should hear or not be worthwhile. There's plenty of reasons why people don't want to be on camera or, or might be nervous about media or putting their, their face and their, their voice to something. Yeah, even with Waltz with Bashir is another example. I mean, the filmmaker is going to, he served in the Israeli Defense Forces and was in Lebanon in 1982 and in Beirut and and. You know, he's describing or actually he doesn't have any memory of it. It's a very interesting film because he doesn't really remember what happened. And he's talking to these other soldiers who served with him. And, you know, they're talking about what they saw and what they witnessed. And, you know, he was there for a lot of it. And some of the things they describe, again, you just could not show in a traditional documentary. Like it's called Waltz with Bashir because they saw this one Israeli soldier shooting in the air, uh, I guess, in front of a giant poster of Bashir. Gamel, I think is his name. He was the president of Lebanon who was assassinated. And it looks like a waltz. And that's why it's called that. 
But again, you just don't really get to see that sort of thing in a traditional documentary. I want to just close by asking you, you know, if someone was looking into the more serious side of animation and comics, where should they start? Well, I think uh, maybe one of the best places for anyone to start is at their local library. I think the librarians always have a, a good sense of what's going on. There's lots of articles um, on these sorts of pages. Uh, you could go to a source like CBC Books and they'll often have like, here's the upcoming comics. You can look and you can sort of see some of the newer stuff there. Um, but I think if you look up just, you know, comics journalism or nonfiction comics, you'll find some great lists. Uh, I'd recommend, you know, start with maybe someone local in your area uh, or a topic that interests you. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of, of excellent work there. Just pick something that you think that you'll like um, and then check out the medium. And if it's something that you're into, then move on to the next thing. I'm going to highly endorse the library as an option. I have found so many great sources there. Do not underestimate your local library. They have tons of stuff. <laughs> I'm definitely going to uh, check the library out for, for some of these uh, docs that you've been talking about today. Uh, listen, Justin, thank you so much for this. This has been an animated conversation. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Well, I guess just uh, you can follow my work uh, on tvo.org. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Lois Underscore Lane. And you can follow uh, my radio show, Radio Free Krypton, on CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto if you're in the downtown Toronto area. And if not, uh, you can find it as a podcast online. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And that's the podcast. Special thanks to Justin for coming on the show. While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us. It helps new listeners to find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. And you can follow me at Namshine, all one word. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Laurie Feud. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening. 